willing. I want to see you panic a little bit. Psalm 112. You don't have to stand since you just sat down, but um, this chapter is really good. I mean, at least in my heart, it was really good. I hope it'll be a blessing and a help to you. The Bible says in Psalms 112, Praise ye the Lord. Interesting way to start the psalm based on the rest of the psalm. Uh, that's what really kind of caught me off guard when I started, I mean, I read it, but when I started going back and look, reading it over and studying it, I was like, well, that's really interesting. He says, praise ye the Lord, and then it almost seems like he switches gears. He says, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. Unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. He hath dispersed, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. And Lord, uh, like somebody told me recently, that just feel like there's a really good spirit in this church. And uh, Lord, I, I pray that that would be true. I sense the same thing, but I realize, God, it's not me. It's not really any of the other people that are here. We're all just sinners. But Lord, when you're here, when your presence is here, it's just good to be here. And Father, that's what we need this morning. We live in a, such a sinful world. And uh, Lord, we're such sinful people. We genuinely struggle. Like we've been talking about on Wednesday nights, Lord, we're stuck in this sinful bodies of clay in this flesh. And yet, Father, there's a desire in us once we're saved to serve you. I, I, I just have tremendous respect for people that aren't pastoring, aren't having to preach, but voluntarily get up and get out there in this kind of weather and deal with the roads and get to church and all that they went through to come today. There must be some kind of a heart in them to want to hear from you. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that you'd please speak to our hearts. I pray that you give us something that will help us as we're trying to serve you in this life. You are worthy to be praised, and we need your help in praising you because we want to praise you, but we don't know how. So I pray you'd bless this message this morning, God, and that you'd use me, that you'd fill me, that you'd help me to be able to, from my heart, share this passage and what you gave me with the people that are here. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now you'll notice here he says, starting right out of the gate, he says, praise ye the Lord. And, and honestly, the fact of the matter is, is I know the Lord's worthy to be praised. I want to learn how to praise the Lord. I'm talking the right way, a way that, way that really gets to the heart of God, a way that helps God really have some appreciation for my praise. And honestly, to do that is a lot easier said than actually done, if you, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, we get into these, stuck into these phrases, you know, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Well, what does it mean like, hey, praise ye the Lord? 
When I'm reading this passage, I'm seeing a man whose heart is literally overflowing with his love for God. And that's, that's what I want in my life. I want a heart that genuinely loves God like it ought to. And the fact of the matter is, in honesty about that, I'm not sure I even know how to define that. Who, who in the room would sit here and say, yeah, I know exactly what it means to love God, and I love God like I ought to love God? I mean, I don't think anybody that's honest and sincere that really looks at themselves the way God looks at them, that looks at the Bible the way God wrote it, not changing it, not twisting it to make it fit your worldview or your perception or your feelings, but honestly looking at what this book says about us, I don't think anybody would rightly say, yeah, I got it. I'm, I got this all figured out. I love God like I should. I praise God like I should. I understand it all. I am there. Not, no, not in reality. You know what drives me crazy? That verse in Jeremiah, where he says, The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. You know why that bothers me? Because I want to be that man. I think David probably wrote this passage. I want to be that man like King David. A man that God Almighty says, That's a man after my own heart. That's, that's what I want to be. I don't really care what the world thinks of me. I don't really care what other people's opinions are of me. If Almighty God looks at Mike Reagan from heaven, I mean like right now, in this second, if God's looking down from heaven and saying, I'm pleased with that boy, he's got the right heart, that's what I want out of my life. But the Bible tells me my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Now here's an interesting thought that I had in getting ready for this and in looking at this passage. For me, I don't know about you, but for me, when I read that verse and have memorized that verse my whole life, I always got stuck on the desperately wicked part. Right? That's what grabs my attention out of that verse. But here's what I got thinking about this time. It says, The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So that means my heart can deceive me. In other words, I may think that I love God like I should. I may think that I have a faithful heart. I may think that I'm all that I ought to be and actually have my own heart deceiving me about myself. Now that's pretty unnerving, isn't it? If we just stopped there and went no farther, if we just took that verse only it would really discourage us in our Christian life, would it not? I mean, to be honest, like that, that sometimes maybe I focus a little bit too much on the negative side of things because I do believe in the power of negative thinking. I'm so tired of all the positivity all the time that's not realistic that it kind of wears me out a little bit. I think I got to look at the negative side to really get a real view of myself. And the fact of the matter is, according to the Bible, my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And he said, who can know it? Well, guess what the answer to that question is? God Almighty knows. He knows the heart of man. He tries the hearts. He searches the hearts. Stop for a second and think about this. What's the number one commandment in all the Bible? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The seconds like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So you're supposed to love other people, but 
first, before you even know how to love other people, you've got to love God with everything you've got. Now, that's kind of hard because most of us have really never laid eyes on God. We're so tuned into our life and the affairs of our life and the issues of our life, the distractions of our life, the frustrations of our life. It is actually difficult. Honestly, let's think about this in fairness. It's difficult to pour yourself into God with a heart that's overwhelmed with a love for him you've never seen, whom having not seen we love. That's not an easy thing to do. I think from this passage of Scripture, we can get some help in figuring out whether or not we got a faithful heart. I want my heart to be faithful. Listen, I don't want a selfish heart. I don't want a silly heart. I don't want a subtle heart. I don't want a sensual heart. I don't want a, a cynical heart. I don't want a sinful heart. And I realize God says my heart deceives me and it's desperately wicked. I realize that innately I love myself, I care about myself, I want what I want. And it is hard for me to say, listen, yes, God, I love you like I should. And no matter what happens, I'm never going to deny you. I'm never going to step out of you. I'm going to stay faithful to you every day of my life. Hey, God, I'm going to die for you just like Peter who thought he loved God. He thought he loved God enough to die. And when the moment came, he figured out his heart told him he loved God more than he actually did. And when he realized he didn't love God like he thought he did, it broke him. I go fishing. Jesus shows up. Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Yeah, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. You love me, love others. Lovest thou me more than these? Yeah, Lord, thou knowest. Feed my sheep. Third time, feed my lambs. Remember? He's like desperate at the end. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then he says, feed my sheep. Think about that for a second. Folks, honestly, I don't know if any of us have the same level of dedication that Peter had at that point when he said, I'll never forsake you. You know what I don't want my heart to do? I don't want my heart to be unfaithful. Because I'll know, I know this, and hear me clearly, I know this. Sooner or later, every Christian comes to a quitting point. I never quit on God. Well, that's easy to say right now. But if God did to you what God did to Job, you don't know what your heart's going to do in that moment. Let not he that putteth on his armor boast as he that taketh it off. You don't brag ahead of time about what you're going to do for God no matter what until you face those giants till you walk through those valleys. You know what you and I need? We need a faithful heart that can stand the test of time, get through this life. That's the whole point. It's ta I'm talking about getting through this life with a heart for God. That's it. That's what this man had. And listen, there's some learning we can get from this passage that will help us figure out this morning whether or not we got a faithful heart. And if you want a faithful heart, but you're not sure... I think this passage teaches us how to do it. The first thing I want you to notice is in verse number one, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. A faithful heart is a fearing heart. Is your heart faithful to God? Oh yeah, my heart's faithful to God. Okay, so then you mean you fear the Lord. 
In other words, you know God's watching everything you do, everywhere you go, everything you look at, everything you say, everything you think. He's not only aware of it, but he's going to bring you into judgment for it. Well, I thought you were talking about loving God. Yeah, I am talking about a heart that loves God. A heart that loves God, that's faithful to God, is a heart that realizes He's there, He's holy, He's just, and He judges sin, and there's not a thing I think, I say, or I do that God Almighty doesn't see and will, not, and will eventually bring me into judgment for if I don't get right with Him over it. You want your heart to be faithful, right? You have to fear God. Now that's a base instinct and a base response. I don't want to do wrong because I don't want to get busted. Amen. Listen, this is what's messed up about modern day religion. Preachers will tell you this. Well, the fear of the Lord in the Bible is not like a fear. It's a reverential trust. That is the biggest bunch of baloney you ever heard in your life. Fear means fear. Let me show you a verse. Keep your finger here in Psalms or, or stick a note in there or something that you can get back to it easy. And if you would, go over with me to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to show you a verse that spells out the fact that there are very different things between fear and reverential trust. That's not the same thing. So when these scholars tell you this stuff, they're lying to you. They're saying, well, in the originals, fear doesn't mean fear. Hogwash. Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse number 28. Wherefore, we, we, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and what? And godly fear. It does not say with reverence which is godly fear. It says you need to serve God two, with two different things. You need the grace of God to do it, and you need to do it with reverence, that's to revere Him, to recognize He's holy, and godly fear. I'll tell you one thing this morning, I am, I am afraid of God. No, I am afraid of God. If you're not afraid of God, then I think you need your, your intellect checked. If you're not afraid of God, I think you're crazy. I literally, listen, forgive me for a minute, I'm not trying to be mean, I literally think you're crazy. I fear Him. I can pull things over on men. I can be smart enough to get away with stuff. I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, when I was a kid, I always fancied myself to be smart. You know, I mean, I could get away with stuff. I figured it out. My Aunt Mary told me one time that me and Paul were always getting into trouble, and she said, really, the problem was you were the brains behind the outfit, and you got him to do everything, and he got caught and got in trouble. It was always your idea. Now, yeah, sounds perfect. Tom Sawyer, man, all the way. You know what I'm saying? You know what's weird? I've always got caught. I mean, literally, I have always, I had peers that were, I'm sure, this is, sounds terrible, and forgive me if I sound arrogant to you, but I'm sure some of my peers were not, weren't necessarily the sharpest guys you ever met in your life. You understand what I'm saying? And they seemed like they got away with everything. And it was like, if I blinked wrong, I got busted. 
You know what I figured out by, I think it's by the prayers of a godly mother and a godly father. Do you hear what I said? I think it's because I had the prayers of a godly mother and a godly father. I think it's because there were some prayers of some preachers in my life that knew me from when I was born that are praying for me. It seemed like always I got busted all the time. I figured out God's watching even if nobody else is. I walk in the house, boy, and I look at my dad. I try not to look at my dad. Hey, how you doing? Everything's fine. You know, and it's just like, oh, he knows, oh, he knows, oh, he knows. And he always did, sooner or later. You know what I figured out? I figured out God's God, and he's going to deal with me. And that scares me. As you know my story, so forgive me for those of you that already know them, but I was 15 years old when I first started really struggling with rebellion. You kids hear me? I really started struggling with rebellion at 15. I knew God wanted me to be a preacher, and I was watching my dad pastor, and I was seeing all the things that he had been going through in the church, and I wanted nothing to do with it. I always got the preacher kid jokes. That's why I've never put up with preacher kids jokes to my kids. And you've never, had, never done it, so it's never become an issue, but I won't let it start. Oh, PKs. Oh, you know, PKs. What kind of garbage are you trying to put in their head anyways? You know what usually that means? One of two things. If they're a good kid, it's like, oh, you know, PKs, they're all rebels. So I'm expected to rebel because my dad's a pastor, right? Or if they're rebels, it's like, oh, you know, PKs, you guys are goody goodies, you know better. They're not the preacher's kid, they're my kids. Which means if you fire me, they go with me because they're Mike Reagan's kids. And I don't expect certain things out of my kids because I'm a pastor because people are looking. I expect things out of my kids that I would expect out of my kids whether I was pastoring or not because of what's best for my kids. Does that make sense? I got the PK stuff a lot growing up. It's like if I went into Sunday school and I didn't know my memory verse, oh, you're the pastor's kid, you don't know your memory verse? I was getting sick of it. And I'm not blaming other people, I'm just telling you what was going on in my immature head. Now I got to, I'm, I don't want to be a preacher. I don't want nothing to do with that. I'm out there. My sister's graduating uh, for the uh, graduation open house, and I'm helping my dad set up the tent. And that, there's these little nylon ropes from the corners that you had to pull, and then you put the stakes in the ground. And he says, here, hold this corner. Well, I, he was over on the other side. Pull back. Pull, because you got to get on it. And so I'm pulling. And he's taking forever. And I'm a spaz. I'm always a spaz. I've always thought my dad took too long to do everything. I could mow the grass in twice the speed, shovel the walk in twice the speed. I mean, like, he's way too slow. Because he did everything the right way. And I was just like, it's done next. You know what I mean? Let's go. So I'm, I'm standing there, and I'm holding that thing, and, it, and it's starting to slip. It's kind of burning my hand. So I tried wrapping my hand on it. No, not good. So I flip it around my neck like that, and I lean back into it. But it's starting to slip and burn my neck. So you know what I did? Genius brilliant, one of the smartest guys you ever met in my life, your life, you're looking at him. I figured I'll just flip it again. Well, when I, when I flipped it the second time, it cinched. Cut off the blood supply on both sides of my neck, which years later in my life, I learned works perfectly <laughs> and quickly. And my body stiffened up, I passed out, and I just kind of floated over like that. My heels were on the ground, but my shoulder was up, and my fingers were caught in it. And my back was to my dad. He looked back. He said, Mike, quit goofing around. He saw my hand and it thought I was holding myself up. I had a chin-up bar in the garage. could do a million chin-ups and all that stuff. He thought nothing of it. My mom was heading downstairs to go into the basement with a load of laundry. And 
for no reason, she dropped the clothes there at the little landing area where the stairs turned and came out the front door, stepped out and saw my face blue. Started screaming. Ran over there, was trying to pick me up, couldn't pick me up. And my dad's like, Viv, he's just playing around. She's like, Mike, no! All I remember is waking up, it sounded like Niagara Falls in my head. And I thought my dad was beating me up and the whole world was swimming because my dad kept trying to knock me back down on the ground and make me lay down. And I was fighting my dad to get up and I didn't know what was happening. I, literally, if my mom had not come that way but had gone down and loaded up the... I wouldn't be standing here right now. And you know what I knew the second I woke up? I was just laying there holding the grass. I can remember peeling at the grass with my hands as the world was doing this. As soon as I woke up, you know what I knew? You better knock it off, boy. I got my parents confessed all my rebellion and all the rest of what I've been messing with, just, just being a little punk, just being a little troublemaker. Because I knew that was God. That's just one time in my life. I've told you other stories. Married and frustrated and not wanting to preach anymore and throwing my Bible on the floor. I'm not preaching again. Pulling out and getting hit by another car. T-bone right on my door. The second, the second that, I think it was a Trans Am, hit me on my driver's door, I literally screamed out to God like a girl. I took the, picked up my Bible and I said, I am not preaching anymore. Threw that thing on the floor and stuck on the gas and pulled out. Boom, right on my, just like that. I checked. I looked both ways and pulled out. But that Trans Am was coming so fast, there was a car parallel parked on the road right here. And I was trying to cut across the main road and the neighborhood roads to get across the street to my neighborhood. And that guy, pow, I mean, right on my door, crushed me. Bruised my leg, hit my head on the thing. Glass on the side of my face, little dots of blood on my face. Messed my head up for a couple days. You tell me you don't fear God? I do. Now, you know, it's up to you. You don't want to fear him, don't fear him. But when I say fear, you know what I mean by fear? I mean fear. I'm going to tell you something that isn't very popular nowadays. You know what to help children love their parents? It's fear. You know why the kids nowadays are so miserable and messed up? Because there's no real boundaries and there's no repercussions for their actions and it makes them feel insecure. One of the first times they begin to really respect you and look up to you is when you instill a little bit of fear in them. There's a specific part of their body where there's no vital organs and there's plenty of padding. They won't die. You've got to instill a little fear in them. And you don't wait till they're five, six, seven. It's too late. You're playing catch-up, and you'll never catch up to what you could have caught up. You've got to start them young. Now, I'm not talking about infants. Don't be weird. <laughs> you pray over it, and you watch the kid, and you determine when they're starting ready for the escalation of the beginning of corporal punishment. Because fear will help those kids. When we talk about fear, I'm talking to you about fear. Now, here's the problem with it. If you don't get fear based on, look at verse 1. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. Wait a minute. This fear of God is not some superstitious random fear. In other words, I told you recently I'm like all like, have a, hard, a little harder time waking up than before, right? If I happen to get up in the middle of the night to go use the bathroom for one of the many journeys, and I'm walking back through the bedroom, and there's the corner post of the bed, 
and corner post of the bed in the darks tends to like to meet my pinky toe. They've come to know each other fairly well. I don't like, oh God, what did I do? Right? We're on our way to church this morning and the tire's going flat on the car and we get to the, she gets to the first pump and actually the pump's not working because it's froze up and we let more air out of the tire and I'm not like, oh God, what do we do? If you don't base your fear of God on Bible doctrine, you're going to become a superstitious mental case that thinks every time anything bad happens in life, it's the judgment of God. Or that looks at everybody else's life and whenever there's bad news or whenever there's a problem or whenever there's health issues, financial issues, whatever it might be, a car accident, oh, they must have been doing something wrong. Well, you know, maybe not. Maybe you're looking at Job. Maybe they're so spiritual that God allows something He wouldn't allow in your life because you couldn't stay faithful through it. Be careful about judging other people and be careful about getting weirdo, whacked out, nut job over having this superstitious fear of God. That's the beauty of the Bible. You and I need to base our fear of God on the book. Let me show you an example. Keep your finger here in Psalms and if you would, go back to 2 Kings real quick. 2 Kings, great example. 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. Find 2nd Kings and go to chapter number 22, if you would. A great example of how to have the proper fear of God. Now, here's the point. In verse number 1 of Psalm 112, right? Blessed is the man that feareth God, that keep delighteth in his commandments. Okay, so if I'm going to have a faithful heart, that's what we're talking about this morning, the right heart for God, first of all, I have to fear Him. But i got to make sure that that fear is a fear based on doctrine that will bring delight in my heart. You following that? So the fear is triggered by an accurate view of God according to what God says in the book. Oh, no. Because he says that I'm a sinner. He shows me envy is wrong, strife is wrong, division is wrong, self-righteousness is wrong, unthankfulness is wrong. He shows me all these things. I mean, I'm not even talking about drinking, smoking, chewing, fornication, adultery, all the obvious stuff. I'm talking about even my heart, my motives, my thought, my attitudes. And, oh my goodness, I'm a mess. Even my very prayer is sin because I pray selfishly. I'm a wreck. That strikes fear when you really see from the Bible exactly how holy he is and how messed up we are. But the thing about it is that rejoicing in his commandments, that fear, that, that realization produces delight in our heart because perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So what we have to understand is that the basis, the beginning point is fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of Wisdom, oh. Well, you go over there, we don't have time for it this morning, but you start studying that. 
You study wisdom, you study the fear of the Lord and what comes out of it. And what's coming out of the fear of the Lord is good counsel, understanding, knowledge, peace. There's all these powerful things that come out of the fear of the Lord where that began with fear in my heart. And now all of a sudden, as I'm beginning to understand the Bible, I'm going, wow, I'm afraid of God. So that brings me to respond properly to what I see about him and about myself. And when I respond properly to that based on the book, it brings delight in my soul because there's the key to getting right with the holy God, to being able to serve a holy God, to understand a holy God. That fear produces some very good things and actually brings delight in the heart. Christians are miserable today because they have no fear of God. They're not growing. They're not getting anywhere because preachers won't tell them, you better watch out. God will bust you. I'm not even talking to lost people, man. If you're not saved, you're on your way to eternity in the lake of fire. God might let you get away with it all between here and there because he knows your eternal destiny and he doesn't even deal. You ain't his kid. You're the devil's kid. I'm talking to his kids. Just so you know while I'm on it, I got saved because I was afraid. I was paranoid. I knew I was going to hell. I knew it. There was no question in my mind. I mean, you already heard my story about pee-pee, poo-poo, cussing, you know, all that stuff, getting busted by my mama. She said, don't throw rocks in the neighbor's pool. I got the rocks. I'm chucking them over the fence into the neighbor's pool. Neighbor calls mom screaming and yelling, cut the lining of the neighbor's pool. I mean, I was a felon by five. Amen. I knew I was a sinner. And I knew I deserved hell. I was afraid. You know what I've never gotten over? I've never gotten over my fear of God. But you know what I've had to learn to do? I've had to learn to get in this book because if all I have is this paranoid fear that he's somehow the drunk dad that's going to come in in the middle of the night, kick the door open, and for no good reason snatch me out of bed and beat me up. Because some people, that's percept their perception of God because of that's the father that they had. You men ought to balance yourself between proper judgment and some love and grace and kindness so your kids get the right view of God. You've got to have all that. You can't just have one or the other. Well, that's not the kind of God you're serving. So no, I'm not sitting around paranoid that drunk God in heaven is going to kick the door in and just beat me up for no reason. That's not the God you serve. Watch Josiah. 2 Kings 22. Josiah was eight years old and began to reign. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adaiah of Bashath. Now watch, verse 2. He had a faithful heart. This is what I want you to see about Josiah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. Pretty good, right? Here's Josiah Starts at 8, and he's doing right. This kid from the beginning, some of you 8-year-olds, this is an 8-year-old God put in the Bible. You think it doesn't matter to God if you read your Bible and pray and try to do right? You think God doesn't know whether or not at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 15, 18, God doesn't know whether or not you got a heart for God? Everybody might look right over your head at church because you're just another little rat running around. You know, just, oh, hi, how you doing? You know, move on. But God sees your heart. God's looking at the heart of this eight-year-old boy, and he's saying, this is a good kid, boy. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David. Now skip down there to verse, thir verse number three. 
came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah. So he's either 18 years old or he's 26 years old. Probably 26 because it's probably the 18th year of his reign. The king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe to the house of the Lord. So Josiah sends the scribe to the house. It says, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may sum the silver, count the money, which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people. Let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Let them give it to the doers of the work, which is in the house of the Lord, to repair the breaches of the house. So he says, all right, guys, listen, go count the money. And the house of God, it's a mess. Uh, people have been tearing that place up for years. You know, we got to get that thing fixed up because that's where we go to worship God and it matters. So go count the money and let's, let's do something for the house of God. Skip down to verse 8. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, delivered it into the hands of them that do the work, that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the book of the law. Wait a second. He rent his clothes. God already told you this is a good guy with a good heart. He's serving God. I mean, literally, he would drive through this kind of weather and these kind of roads to get to church. That's how important the house of God was. He says, go count the money and let's fix that thing up. And when they're in there cleaning up the house of God because they just let things slip after some time, they found the book. And he comes and he says, listen, hey man, I found the book. He says, hey, go read that book. He gets him for the, he says, hey king, listen, everything's going great. The guys are very faithful to money. Everything's fine. But I found the book. He said, read me the book. You see what's happening here. When he hears the book read, the fear of God strikes into his righteous soul. I mean, this is a good guy. God says he's walking in all the ways of David, his father. He's serving me. But when he heard the Bible, he said, woe is me. And he rents his clothes and he says, man, we haven't been doing right for a long time. The house of God and the people of God are in a mess. The judgment of God is coming. And it was. Because it rains on the just and on the unjust. So even though Josiah was a good king for a long time, Israel had not been following that book and God's judgment was about to strike them. And he repents and gets on his face before God. Now look at verse number 13. He says, go inquire of the Lord. Skip down halfway through the verse. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that is written concerning us. And you know, what, you know what they do? They go down to the prophetess and she says, all right, now go tell them this. Go tell them that God says, look at verse 18, the end of the verse, as touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse and has rent thy clothes and wept before me. Oh, that's just reverential trust. Uh-uh. When he saw what God said about him, he said, Oh, God. Oh, God, be merciful. Oh, God, I'm sorry, I'm a wreck. And he rends his clothes and falls on his face, and he says, Since you did that, I've also heard thee. 
saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered unto thy grave in peace. And thine eyes shall not see all the evil that I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. Do you see what it was? Now, let me ask you a question. If you knew you had judgment coming, and you deserved it, and it's coming, boy, because you done messed up, and you say, God, I'm so sorry. Oh, God, I'm a mess. Oh, God, I deserve it. And your heart is broken over your failure. You're not defending yourself. You're not pointing the fingers at other people. You're not acting like you're holier than what you are. You recognize, hey, I'm a mess. My heart's deceitful. I've screwed it up. I'm sorry. And God says, okay, since you, since you responded that way, there's peace between me and you. What do you think that fearing heart just did? I mean, come on, does anybody in here know what it feels like to be completely forgiven when you don't deserve it? Man, when somebody dishes out forgiveness, when you are literally, you are literally at their feet. You're at their mercy. They've got it all over on you and they could destroy you. But instead, they look at you with compassion and kindness and love and they say, I forgive you. And you're literally freed from that. Would you love somebody like that? Do you see how the fear of God leads to the love of God? Because when you fear Him like you ought to fear Him, you know what happens? It creates the proper response in you to the truth, and that gives Him the proper response back to you of, all, oh, you just got in on my good side. And by the way, my good side can't be defined. I can't even put into words how good God is. Look over at the next chapter in 2 Kings. Look at chapter 23. I want you to see verse number 24. <laughs> Go halfway down the verse there for the sake of time. It says this, Josiah put away that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Watch this now. And like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might. Is that ringing a bell for anybody? According to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. <laughs> wow. And that was all based on a man who had a faithful heart to God. His heart was so right with God that when God said, you're wrong, and he's like, what do you mean? I've been trying to do all this stuff for so long, and I'm so spiritual, and I've done all this work for you. And God said, you guys are off. He fell on his face before God, rent his clothes, and didn't try to justify himself or anybody around him, threw himself at the mercy of the court. And God said, all right, you want my mercy, you got my mercy. You think a man like that would know how to praise God? You see the problem with modern day Christianity? It's made gods out of us all. And he's obligated to overlook our sin because of his grace. And so you got a weak, anemic, pathetic, powerless Christianity, and you got a bunch of people in church today that don't love God. I was running the numbers. Did you know that 95% uh, of the American population spends right around five hours, give or take a quarter hour, either direction. Actually, the women were a little less and certain age brackets of men were a little more. But right around five hours a day, a day on leisure. 
leisure. TV, video games, social media, but can't make it to church. They'll sit out in weather like this to get ready for a football game, but can't drive to church. Do you understand what the problem is? I'm talking to Christians. They, the Lord's not a priority. They don't love Him. They got this false message being preached to them about this pacifistic God in heaven that's nothing but grace and love and there's no understanding of the fear of the Lord so there's no cock-picking wisdom anymore. And I don't want that kind of heart. I want a heart that loves Him. But that has to start with who He is and who I am and that scares the fire out of me. Number two, go back to Psalm 112 if you would please. Psalm 112. A faithful heart is a fearing heart. Let me give you these other two. I got two more for you. I'll give them to you as quick as I can. Look at verse 7. A faithful heart's a fixed heart. Verse 7, he says, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed. See that? Trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he shall see his desire upon his enemies. That heart that fears God based on the Word of God winds up delighting in the Word of God. And when you start knowing and experiencing and feeling the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God that is only dispensed to a repentant heart. Did you hear me? It's only dispensed to a repentant heart. It's only dispensed to a humble heart. He resists the proud but gives grace unto the humble. Boy, when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God like that and the love of God begins to flood your soul and you begin to realize, man, that God, that holy God loves me in spite of me. What a God I serve. You know what that'll do for that heart of yours? That'll help that heart of yours become fixed on God. You know what we need? We need some young men nowadays that have more of an infatuation with God than they do with sports or video games or pleasure or girls or whatever else it is that's obsessing your mind. We need some young men that'll say, listen, I want to serve God. Come hell or high water. I want to give him my life and see what God could do with my life. Too worried about what people are thinking about you. Your heart ain't fixed. You know what it's doing? It's floating all over the place like some kind of a frilly little silly goofball. Just all that levels. I'm, listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to go to a ball game or to play sports or any of the rest of that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's wrong to play video games. I think every young man, especially young men that are troublemakers, you need some kind of good, clean hobby to expend your energy. Really, I mean that. That's my personal advice more often than you would realize one-on-one with young men that are trying to serve Jesus Christ. I'm just trying to tell you, you better make sure that the things of this world don't get so far into your heart because you get a little glory out of it or a little recognition out of it. Listen, that's not going to matter at all 40 years from now. What you need is a heart fixed on Almighty God, falling in love with Almighty God, getting close to Almighty God, just a heart that says, God, I'm fixed on you. I'm stayed on you. And by the grace of God, I'm sticking with you. Come hell or I want her. You say, that's the opposite of what you just said not long ago. You're not getting the point. 
I'm not talking about an arrogant statement that says, I'll never quit on God. You better be careful about that heart of yours. But once you get the fear of God drove deep into your heart and you begin to experience the love of God, you've got to have a commitment to Him. It's a choice. I will guarantee you, Miss Grace has not, every year for 21 years, felt overwhelming butterflies in her belly of this infatuation with Mike. <laughs> but I told somebody this week, I said, I've been married for 21 years. I've been with her for 23 years. Started dating 23 years ago. Married 21 and a half years. I know for a fact I love her way more today than I ever loved her 20 years ago. And I'm 100% sure she loves me way more than she loved me 20 years ago. You know what it's been more often than, than either of us would like to admit? It's a decision we made. The butterflies come and go, and they do come back, and they go again, and they come back, and they go again. Amen. Come on. If you've been married for a little while, just come on, fellas. Help me out a little bit, please. Leave me out here on a limb like that, looking at me like, mm-mm. You're here on your own, big boy. It's a heart that's fixed. You know why I love my daughters? Because they're my daughters. That's, that's it. That's it. There's no qualifier for this. I'm their dad. I love them, period. Will you always love them? Sure. That doesn't mean I'll always have a good relationship with them. I hope I do. But come on, parents. Hello. You always love your kid, right? That's a choice you're making. That's a choice you're making. So when he commands us to love God, he recognizes we can make this choice. The reason people don't love God is because they don't want to love God. So at the beginning of the thing, I said this is kind of confusing sometimes because none of us will be like, yeah, we love God like we should. But what he's teaching us is, listen, I'm fixing my heart on God. I fear him. I know what he can do. And because of that fear, I've gotten right with him. I've experienced his forgiveness. I'm not leaving this place. I'm not leaving this God. I'm not abandoning him. I need to stick with him. And when the heart is fixed on God, the darkness no longer destroys you. Did you hear what I said? When your heart is fixed on God, the darkness, because there will be dark days, the darkness won't destroy you. I'll never forget in my ordination service, there was a man there who was an evangelist. His name was Jim White. He was one of the most hilarious guys you've ever met in your life. The stories that man told are just like, his life was a, was a, was a travesty. He actually wrote a humor book based on all the things that happened to him, and it is one of the most hilarious books you'd ever read in your life. I'm talking stuff like, he goes, he's at the church, he's uh, gonna has to preach in a little bit. He goes into the bathroom to go to the bathroom and he's sitting in the stall to using the bathroom and he hears click, 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 click of high heels in the bathroom. The preacher. And he looks under the stall and there is literally high heels there and he's sitting on the toilet holding his feet up so nobody can see his pant legs. Panicking because he's not paying attention went into the women's bathroom to go to the bathroom. I remember these stories from when I was a kid. He's on the platform walking back and forth and people are snickering and what he doesn't know is socks are coming out of his pant leg from the laundry. Just like all the time. Like he would preach and get so wild his shirt would come untucked and be hanging out past his suit. And I can't forget the guy. And it was honestly a real privilege to have him on the ordination committee. 
He had been sitting on a plane because he was a traveling evangelist. And when the plane shifted at one point, one of the luggage compartments came out and a suitcase came out, hit him in the head. And he had, it did brain damage. He had to learn to, the alphabet. He had to learn to read again. And God actually built the guy back. I think he was in his 50s or 60s when it happened. And he wound up back in the pulpit preaching. Had to learn to read the whole nine yards. When I came up there, we had gotten done. And I was filing by the men. He, he shook my hand. And he pulled me into him, he put his arm around me, and he said in my ear, Mike, never doubt in the darkness what God showed you in the light. That was a man who had been through some very, very dark days. He said, never doubt in the darkness what God showed you in the light. And I've never forgotten that. That's a heart that's fixed on God. See, when a statement like that came from a man who lived it, it struck something down deep into my soul that stuck with me over the years. Look at verse 4. Under the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. When your heart's fixed on God, here's what happens. You go through bad times, but your bad times begin to take on some meaning. Does that make sense? In other words, it might not even happen in the moment, but if you wait, if you walk with God, if you are faithful in your heart to God, if you continue to fear Him, if you continue to strive to stay right with Him, fix your heart on Him, you will see sooner or later the lessons you learned in the darkness, what God was using the darkness to do for you, and out of that darkness comes light. This world goes through darkness and they get nothing for it. They don't learn any lessons. They don't become better. They get bitter. You're supposed to get better. You realize some of the burdens that some of you carry that were put on you by other people around you. Nothing breaks my heart more than young people that didn't have a mom and a dad. Or either or. Well, why don't you, why don't you just love God, love your Heavenly Father... And why don't you watch what God will do in you, with you, and through you for somebody else someday? Your darkness will take on light. Your destiny is determined in verse number 6. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. Your heart ought to be fixed on God because I'm telling you, my friends, listen, God's got some plans for you on the other side that you may not even see in this lifetime. Your destiny is determined. Beyond that, your desires get dispensed. In verse number 8, his heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemy. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he'll do what? Give thee the desires of thine heart. Well, because when you fear God and your heart's fixed on God, you begin to desire what God wants you to desire. Do you understand that? Your desires change. Go ahead. Be a fool. Chase the things of this world. See how it works for you. See what, this, see what this world gives you. Or have a faithful heart to God no matter what. Whether you bless me or not, I'm sticking with you, Lord. And see what God will do for you. Notice in verse number 3, and this is the last point I want to make. A faithful heart to God produces a fruitful heart. <clears throat> he said, wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. Look at verse 9. He hath dispensed... Is dispersed, excuse me. 
hath given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. A faithful heart fears God, is fixed on God, and winds up producing some fruit for God. Now in the Old Testament, when you did right, when Israel did right, God blessed them with money. You understand that, right? Some of the promises to Israel, men that were righteous got blessed, got financially blessed. So here's what people say in the New Testament. And, and I'm with this. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. You know that, right? Yeah. I don't believe that if you put money in the box, God's going to multiply it back to you necessarily. I believe that you and I put money in the box because we love God and we just count it gone. Just that I just have that much less. Guarantee. You put 100 in the box there, the church will have 100 more, you'll have 100 less. That's all the promises you got. Yeah. Right? Christian giving. You know what the Bible says in the New Testament? God loveth a cheerful giver. You know God loves every one of you? Whether you give or not. You know, you know what happens when you give cheerfully? He loves you a little more. Not begrudgingly and of necessity. Not because the preacher's preaching a tithe and he's checking the giving records to see who's giving and who's not. Never have, don't plan on starting. No idea. God loveth a cheerful giver. Do you know that Psalm 112, the Apostle Paul quotes to the Corinthian church? Psalm 112, 9. You ever go read that in 2 Corinthians? He talks about having all grace abound for you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. You know why people don't give? They're cheap. <laughs> it's a heart thing. You understand that? Can, can I just tell you something? We, we tried to do what my dad did for me, and my wife and I tried to do the same thing. Her parents taught her the same way. From the earliest ages, when they're given, a, when they're given an allowance, you give them a buck, you know, you say, now, you should at least give 10% of that to God. Because that's what they did in the Old Testament. That's just kind of a starting line. You don't have to. It's not a New Testament commandment, but you should. My dad did that with me. I can still see him. He was six foot two, blue eyes, tall Irishman. He'd kneel down like that in front of me. And when he gave me the allowance and then he had me come to him for change, it was all awkward. You know, okay, now ask me for change. I'm like, here's my dollar you just handed me. And he gives me a 25, 50, and then I'll break it down. And he had all that change there and he broke it down and we counted it up. And then he said, now how much do you want to give? Like, huh? How much do you want to give on Sunday? And he's, he gave me the verse, you know, and I, I'm not necessarily telling you this, but... He gave me that verse in the Gospels. He said, Given, it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down. I can see him kneeling down there, shaking together. Still see those long arms in my mind, and then down one knee like that, those big old long legs, I'm standing there like, I'm going to be as big as you someday, you know. And only God knew that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> and then he said, running over, shall men give into your bosom. You know what I'm really thankful for? I'm thankful for parents that always gave when they couldn't afford it. They could not afford it, man. We were in a little 800-square-foot house in Garden City and then an 800-square-foot house in Livonia and no basement and the whole nine yards. But my parents gave. And they taught me to give. And one of the greatest blessings of my life has been giving. I 100% guarantee you we could buy more toys, we could do other things if we didn't give, but man, it's just more blessed to give than to receive. And you know what's wild to me? It's just wild. Again, I'm not giving you a promise, okay? This ain't the prosperity gospel. It is wild to me how God has taken care of me.
It is absolutely mind-blowing how God has taken care of me. I don't even expect it. I just give it and it's gone. I don't even think about it. I pray when I give and if I don't feel like it's enough, I'm not too thrilled with what I gave today. I'm like, Lord, could you multiply this? I pray that as I'm dropping it in there. Help souls to come out of this thing. Do something with this. Help that addition to get done, God. Please see this thing and multiply it. You know what he said when he saw that widow give her mite? You ever seen a mite? I got a mite in my office. It looks like a little rock. It's like a half a penny. He said she gave more than all of them. He that is faithful in least, faithful also in much. You know, I'll start giving when I have the money. You will not. You will not. If you won't give on a little, I guarantee you, you make a million dollars. You make a million dollars this year. You ain't cutting a check for 100000 You just say that because a million sounds like so much. You don't know what it's like to pay the taxes on that. How many hands wind up in the pot, how much you actually walk away with, and you're going to cut a check for 100000 Yeah, right. But a guy that learns to give on a little, he'll write that check for 100000 Because it's a heart thing. You understand what I'm saying? It's the heart of the thing God's looking at. And a heart that's faithful to God is a fruitful heart. It begins to produce fruit. It delights in God's word in verse number one. That's fruit. It's not all about money. In verse number 2, it produces fruit in his family. His seed shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. I, I want, I want these, these little kids downstairs to catch what we got. You understand? I want those four girls God gave me. I want them to catch what we got. I want it to be contagious. Now, how's it going to be contagious if my heart is just kind of half in it? How are they going to want anything I got if they know I'm a hypocrite? And mama and daddy, those little kids, grandma and grandpa, church, those little kids know from an early age whether or not what you got's real. You get in the car, bad-mouthing people on the way home, bad-mouthing on the way here, they're going to be gone. They're going to be gone they turn 18. But you love one another, love Jesus Christ, got something real, fall in love with God of a faithful heart, and you can hope and pray that God will help them catch what you got. It's a fruitful heart. Look at verse 10 and we're done. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. The foolish heart as an antithesis to the faithful heart is grieved. He's miserable. He gnashes with his teeth. Look at him. He's given up. He melts away. And everything he's lived for goes away. The desire of the wicked perishes. You go ahead and give yourself to this world. Give yourself to your dream. Give yourself to your image of what you want out of life. Love all those other things that come in this world. Think I'll be happy when I get married, you single folks. Oh, when God provides me the spouse, then I'm finally going to be happy. When I get the better job, I'm going to be happy. When I get whatever your dream is, go ahead, give your heart to all that stuff. And you see what this world does for you. Yeah. What, give your heart to God this morning. Ask Him to help you have a faithful heart. And make Him, the Lord, your walk with the Lord. Everything. Yeah. In other words, God, when I have you, I'm happy. That's enough. 
you are enough. Fix that heart on him. And watch what he does with a heart like that and the fruit he produces in your life. You'll be blown away. I'm telling you, you'll be blown away. Because only God can help your heart get where it needs to be. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.